Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you today? What's happening in the your world, what's happening out your window, what's happening in your heart. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is the Faith Radio Network. We're going to tend to many of those things today, things happening in the world at large, things happening um, in the world of our own head and heart, um, and in the world right around us. So let's take a deep breath and let's enter in. Let's start where we should start each and every day, which is in the Word of God. So where are you in the Word? It's one of those questions I like to ask. If I'm with another Christian, I definitely like to ask that question. Hey, where in the Word are you today? Like, what, what is God teaching you today? What are you hearing? What are you hearing from Him? So today, today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. But when I am afraid... I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? If you just take the, uh, the last question and you put it first, you could, um, you could make a long list. What can mere mortals do to me? Well, they can do a lot. Um, and you feel... If you're like me, you feel like you're, you're subject to lots of decisions that other people are making that you don't have any particular control over. And so what can mere mortals do to me? Well, they could swerve across the center line uh, and hit me head on. Like mere mortals can do a lot. Um, and there is real fear. Like that's where the psalmist begins. When I am afraid. So when is that? I mean, are you a person who has some things of which you are afraid, that you fear? Some of those are probably legit, and there are probably some that are not legit, but I get it. So are you afraid of the dark, or are you afraid in the dark? Or you are you, or are you afraid of what you can't see that is in the dark? Mm-hmm. See how this works? So of what are you afraid and then where have you put your trust? I have put my trust in Christ. I put my trust in God. Um, but you might be putting your trust in something else or someone else. So the psalmist is acknowledging here the reality of fear when I am afraid and the reality of where he is putting his trust. So the psalmist says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. What does that mean? What does it mean to put our trust in God? Um, have you ever whistled in the dark, like kept yourself company in the dark um, by whistling? 
or singing or talking to yourself or talking to some invisible companion? Mm -hmm. What do you do in the dark to keep yourself company? The psalmist, having put his trust in God in the midst of fear, starts making a list, starts praising God, rattling off the promises of God, reciting the acts of the faithfulness of God throughout time. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. So that's like whistling in the dark or, um, or talking to yourself in the dark. The psalmist makes a list of God's promises and then counts on God to be God, trust God to be God. And then note this. After acknowledging that his fear is real and that he intentionally puts his trust in God and then listing off the promises of God to keep himself company and remind himself of God's presence and God's goodness, the psalmist then says, I trust in God. Do you see how the act of putting your trust in God and then reminding yourself of all the reasons that God is trustworthy, faithful, and true actually produces trust in God? That's what the psalmist is saying. Having put my trust in God and having praised God for what he has promised, counting on God to be God, I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? Put your trust in God today. And then trust God to be God. And then discover that God is God and therefore we have nothing to fear. And if you're saying to yourself, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to put my trust in God. It is incredibly simple. You could pray something like this. God, I believe in you. Help my unbelief. God, I put my trust in you. I'm done trying to run my own life. I turn it all over to you. Take my life, oh God. I trust in Jesus. I trust that Jesus' death on the cross produces what you promise, forgiveness of sin. And I trust that in raising him from the dead, you will raise me up as well. I put my trust in you. I trust you to keep the promises you have made. I trust that means that right now I'm receiving the Holy Spirit to guide me. I trust you. I commit to listening to you. I commit to walking with the Spirit and to check myself by your word. Oh, God. Help me today rest in your love as I enjoy the peace of Christ in whom I now live. I trust you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Do you trust God? Do you put your trust in him? I invite you to do that on this Witness Wednesday. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. We have another one of those tragic um, headlines today, uh, but it's not like a tragedy that is taking place in real time. It's a tragedy that has taken place over the course of some 90 years. Um, But I am confident that there are going to be people in our lives today um, for whom this news report awakens deep trauma. 
And so I want to I want to say that in advance of of sharing it with you. Um, A report has uh, has been issued by the Office of the State's Attorney General in Illinois. um, Accounting for and chronicling. Just extraordinary numbers of children having been um, sexually abused by people in positions of uh, of ministry and authority in the diocese of uh, of Springfield and um, and across the Catholic Church of Illinois. So here's a quote: um, more than four hundred and fifty credibly accused child sex abusers were ministering in the Catholic Church in Illinois over almost seven decades. Um, the number of children abused, very uh, nearly 2,000, 1,997 different children since 1950 across the state's six dioceses, including the Archdiocese of Chicago, um, the report adds 149 names to the list of known child sex abusers from um, these um, six dioceses. The total number of identified abusers now at 451. Um, here's what's going to happen today. Um, one of those 1,997 people um, who were abused as children are are going to remember things that they have tried very, very hard to suppress for a very, very, very long time. But childhood sexual abuse never goes away. Um, it, it changes a person forever. And so if you are a person who experienced sexual abuse as a child, I am so sorry. If you were neglected, if you were physically and verbally abused, I, I am so sorry. And to everyone else, I want to say, let's, let's be people who today are safe to tell. Let's be people who today, if you know somebody who grew up Catholic and they grew up in Illinois and they were a child in the 1950s or 60s or 70s. Um, Today's the day you need to say to them, hey, this report came out. I know you grew up Catholic and I know you grew up in Illinois. I just want to say I want to be a safe person to tell. I'm, I'm a safe person to tell if you have something to tell. Could we do that today for one another? Could you be a safe person to tell today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. All right, now let me bring you a good news story. Um, Kindergartners at a Tennessee elementary school learned how to sign happy birthday in order to um, surprise the custodian of their school. Mr. James has been part of the staff for more than 15 years, and he's deaf. 
And so the kindergartners um, learned how to sign. And then let me say this. <clears throat> this story is originally posted four years ago. So guess what's been happening every year on Mr. James's birthday since? Yeah, that kindergarten class, who are now fourth graders, have been um, doing this every single year. It is a pretty simple act of kindness, um, but it, it, it's, it's such a blessing. And I, just, I guess I just want us to maybe today find a way to bless somebody else. Um, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Proverbs eleven twenty five. Do you know somebody today who could just use a blessing? Like you, you know it. You, you know who they are. As soon as I say that, they God brings them to your mind, and you're like, you know what? That that person could really use a blessing. And then be creative. It literally cost nothing for this group of kindergartners to learn how to sign Happy Birthday, and now they have a gift to give every year. They also have a gift to give every deaf person they're ever going to meet the rest of their lives. So do you see how that blessing is not only blessing um, this Mr. Harkin, but it's also blessing every single one of these students who has learned to do something and then learned to bless somebody else and that that blessing continues and is multiplied? What might that look like in your life today? Um, What might it look like to bless someone uh, you know, be a conduit of blessing. That's a, that's one of my encouragements today. <clears throat> so, um, and then here's a headline story for us that uh, I want to bring the mind of Christ to bear. And here's what I'm just going to say before I even tell you what the story is. If there's a line of communication that's been broken, today's the day to reestablish it. Today's the day to reestablish a broken line of communication. So the broken line of communication in this particular case has been between the United States and China. And so that's a, that's a pretty significant line of commu- communication in terms of our global relationships. So the line of communication has been reestablished as of today. I think this is really um, significant and important. What has happened? Well, China's new ambassador has arrived um, on his first U.S. visit in his current position. And he says he wants to enhance Um, U.S.-China relations at a time of, quote, serious difficulties and challenges. That's a bit of an understatement. There are certainly serious difficulties and challenges between the United States and China. We talked about some of those yesterday. Um, Some of this gets down to basic worldview. And um, the Chinese worldview is not a Western worldview. It is not a Judeo-Christian worldview. It is not a democratic worldview. Um, It is not a worldview that um, holds out the hope of freedom and prosperity for people. Um, It is not, uh, it does not recognize the value of the individual human life. So there's serious challenges and difficulties when we talk about U.S.-China relations. And it's no secret that um, literally they have not been answering the phone um, in China when Washington has called. Like literally not answering the phone. And so the reestablishment of, of an open line of communication, in this case through a person, and I want you just to think about that for a moment. It's not that China started picking up the phone, but we did graciously receive onto our soil a person they sent. And this person, um, Ambassador Zhifang, is, is going to reopen 
lines of communication. Um, he says he's looking forward to, quote, properly handling sensitive and important issues, including, you know, the conversation about Taiwan. Um, and so when you want to reopen a line of communication, sometimes you just have to physically go. And I want you to think about the incarnation um, of Jesus Christ, and I want you to think about what God communicates and how God communicates through the person of Christ, and then how God communicates in and through each and every person who is filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ, and what it looks like and what it means for you and I to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Heaven has ambassadors, and they have names. I am one of them, and I hope so are you. And so in the, in the same way that this ambassador from China is making a visit to a foreign country um, where there are serious difficulties and challenges, God sends you and me as ambassadors of heaven into the communities here upon the earth where there are serious difficulties and challenges. And he does so to establish a witness, lines of communication, that you and I would be living demonstrations of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, that we would be a provisional demonstration of the gospel, that we would bring the qualities and the character and the priorities of God into the world, which is a very foreign place to those concepts. And so what does it look like and what does it sound like for you and I to show up in conversations today, in places and spaces today, where people have real difficulties and challenges with God, where they reject the value system of the kingdom of heaven, where they are not interested in what we say when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does it look like for you and I to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven today in the midst of the kingdoms of this world? Let's reopen some lines of communication today, and let's not just do it by giving people a text or a call. Let's go see them. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen? Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. All right, so um, what's the best sermon you've ever heard? Like, is there one that sticks in your mind? What's the last sermon that you heard? Maybe that's a good place to start this. What's the last sermon that you heard? What's the greatest sermon that you've ever heard? Who preached it? All right, now I'm going to, because this is like a, my family would call this like a, like a Jesus juke or a Bible slap. <clears throat> I'm going with the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Best sermon I've ever heard, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. That's what I'm going with. Matthew chapter, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. Now, you say to yourself, well, now that's not the posture of a preacher. Yes, that's actually the posture of a preacher and a teacher and a rabbi um, in the days of Jesus. So he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, begins with the Beatitudes. 
That's where Jesus starts his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount also includes Jesus' teaching on salt and light and the fulfillment of the law, murder, adultery, divorce, revenge, the love of enemies and giving to the needy. And the Sermon on the Mount includes um, something that is knit into the heart of every believer. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount about fasting, about where we store up our treasures, how we spend our time and money. It's in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches us not to worry about our life. Um, Talks about judging others. The narrow and the wide gate, true and false prophets, true and false disciples. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus teaches us about the wise and the foolish builders. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, Jesus says. This isn't just a sermon to be heard. This is a sermon to be lived. As Jesus nears the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the final illustration that he offers is this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall. Why not? It had its foundation on the rock. Now, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So friends, the Sermon on the Mount is not only meant to be heard, it is meant to be lived. Jesus intends that we do what he commands, that we do what he calls us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice. So we're going to talk with Ryan Dennison about what that means, what it means to 
walk in the reality of the Sermon on the Mount as the pathway to purpose. That's next, here on Mornings with Carmen. Fun to have Dr. Ryan Dennison back today. We're talking about the book that he co-authored with his dad, Jim, who we love so much. The book is A Path to Purpose. Ryan, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We um, we very much appreciate what you guys are doing at um, Denison Ministries and particularly at Denison Forum. You guys can uh, connect directly with Ryan at denisonforum.org. Let's um let's talk about this book that you've co-authored with your dad, uh, A Path to Purpose. I'm thinking in the lead up to Father's Day, maybe we could just have you reflect for a moment on co-laboring with your dad on this and other projects. Yeah, thanks. It's been a lot of fun to work with him. And uh, yeah, I know I'm probably supposed to say that as a son, but it's true. And uh, these books, uh, both this one and the the blessed book we wrote a few years back that focused mostly on the Beatitudes were a lot of fun because it was taking some of the sermons and other resources that he's done in the past and being able to repurpose a lot of that content to dive more deeply into the Sermon on the Mount and being able to kind of go through that with him and bounce ideas off of him and kind of go back and forth with it was, it was a great experience. I love that. That's so great. Um, so the Path to Purpose is a, is a deep dive, as you say, into the Sermon on the Mount. I like that you open by noting that a primary emphasis in Matthew's gospel is helping Christians learn how to be better followers of Christ while guiding others to do the same. Um, I think that's a great summary of the life of discipleship. Like we're each one of us on this path with Jesus, um, but we're also on this path with others who are with Jesus. Um, So maybe just introduce people to the Sermon on the Mount. What's kind of special about it in terms of understanding and catching a vision of what Jesus expects of his followers. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, in Matthew's gospel, it's really the first big section of teaching that he gives from the mouth of Christ. And in a lot of ways, it pairs well with the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel as a way of saying, this is what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus is talking about what it means to be his follower, what he expects from his followers, this is the life of what that looks like. And one of the things that's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount is that it touches on so many different facets of how that plays out. And there's really, while not every one of the, it doesn't answer every question we might have about what it looks like to be a Christian, there are principles throughout the sermon that we can apply to pretty much any question we might have as to what it looks like to follow Jesus on a daily basis. When you think about the Sermon on the Mount, Ryan, um, we're talking about Matthew chapters, you know, five through seven. That's a that's a fairly long passage of scripture. If we were just talking about, you know, taking it as a whole, um, you divide it up into eight sections in Path to Purpose. I'm wondering, like, when we are dealing with a large passage of scripture, um, how do you determine where to draw those kinds of lines? Like, why these eight? sections and not some other division of the whole. Thanks. That was, to be honest, that was, um, at times that happens kind of naturally where there's a, there's a easy transition point within the sermon at other times. That was something my dad and I really went back and forth, uh, talking about. And 
one of the things we tried to do with this is, while it is a big passage of scripture as a result of that, a lot of times the way it's taught is each individual uh, group of verses is taken as its own subject. Whereas we tried to divide with the way we divided it up, we tried to look at it a little more thematically. So for example, um, where the, you've heard it said, but I say statements, there are six of those and we divided them three and three and part because there's some symmetry to that, but also because it allowed us to look at the first three as more kind of private sins that people tend to commit, but they understand it's not right to act on these. Whereas the latter three about not taking oaths and as all that is things that are a little more easily defensible where, and by dividing those up as we did, it allowed us to look at each within that context. And we did something similar with regards to applying Christ commands on don't worry, do not be anxious to a lot of the things that happened at the start of chapter seven with his statements on judgment. Um, we looked at some of the passages that uh, you can apply to evangelism and it just let us take a more thematic approach to it to see how some of the the same ideas kind of run through these passages and, that are often treated in isolation from one another. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Dr. Ryan Dennison. We're talking about a book he co-authored with his dad, Jim Dennison, who you know from Dennison Forum and his visits here with us on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. The book is A Path to Purpose, and it is a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter uh, chapters five through seven. We're also going to um, touch with Ryan on some things that are posted right now at denisonforum.org. Specifically, I'm going to ask him um, about this, uh, this what, what's going on with the Dodgers and having invited and then uninvited and then re-invited a charity from their annual Pride Night um, that might surprise you. It's a group of nuns, but <clears throat> nuns like none other. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. When we talk about the walk of faith or walking by faith or taking each step of life with the good shepherd, we imagine ourselves as sheep walking with him. Or maybe we see ourselves in the disciples with Jesus walking from town to town throughout the land we call holy. Every Christian wants to walk where Jesus walked, but not everyone's going to get to go to Israel. So if you want to see the holy land the way it might have looked through the eyes of Jesus, take a journey with Max Lucado. We're giving away a copy of his new book, In the Footsteps of the Savior, every day in May. Thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You can enter to win on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. It's the every day in May giveaway, so enter today at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Ryan Anderson from Denison Ministries. You can find what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. Ryan, maybe to uh, conclude our conversation about the book, A Path to Purpose, on on not just the Beatitudes, but on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, what are some things that you feel like God taught you personally in the course of writing this book? Thank you. One of the main things that stuck out to me as I was writing it and that he's continued to kind of remind me of in the day since is relates to a lot of the the statements he gives regarding our emotions, um, or at least what's often seen as emotions, whether it's the command to love our enemies or his prohibitions against anger and lust. And one of the things that really stood out as we were kind of writing the book is that those, those actions or 
Christ's commands in those settings are more about our response to our emotions. The Bible never actually commands us how to feel about anything, just gives us commands on how we respond to those feelings. And I think that's important because we really can't love well unless we understand that love is a choice that we make. Um, With regards to anger, we look at how kind of the Greek behind that shows that it's talking less about the emotion of an, an instant response than it is holding a grudge. And being able to look at those in depth really has kind of, it's been a good reminder not to beat myself up about the times when my initial response, maybe not what I wish it was, but also a challenge to just understand that there's never a time where those emotional responses have to dictate the way that we go forward with them and that we are always in control of how we respond. And um, mm. Another thing that kind of stood out that he's continued to tra- challenge me with is just that the sermon as a whole, while it may seem very difficult to keep all of this, all these commands all the time and how at times um, some people interpret the sermon as this unattainable ethic for a future kingdom kind of idea and mm-hmm. how really these are just, these are Jesus' expectations for what we're supposed to be. God knows we'll fail at keeping them up, but that's never an excuse to not try. Mm-hmm. And so that's really challenged me to continue in the days since to continue to try and live out this life and never settle for anything less than the perfection that God asked for, while also still finding the grace to be able to not go, not get stuck in a cycle of guilt. Yeah, that whole exceeding, like, right, exceeding the righteousness of the scribes mm-hmm. and the Pharisees. And you're like, well, how could I ever do that? And, um, you know, or this higher righteousness, like, how could I ever live up to or into that? And um, it's not about keeping it perfectly, which I will obviously fail to do, but it is about seeking to do so, you know, all the time, seeking first his kingdom, his kingdom purposes and his righteousness and trusting that everything else is going to fall into place from there. So good. It's just so good. Um, Ryan, I want to ask you about, um, this is a part of the daily article uh, project or series that is posted every single day at denisonforum.org. You guys should be checking it out. I read it every day. So in a recent daily article, I read about something going on with the Dodgers and this group of, I mean, it doesn't even seem right to call them sisters or nuns, but that's what they call themselves. So tell us about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and Pride Night at the Dodgers, and then the invitation, the disinvitation, and the reinvitation. What's going on? Honestly, it's a lot of craziness. Um, which initially, there's, there's a there are many groups that are invited to these Pride Nights. This is going to be the Dodgers' tenth year of doing it, and so it's become a staple of their season. Um, but one of the groups they're going to honor this year is their. While social media hashtags not always the greatest way to define a group, theirs is LA Drag Nuns. And that's Mm. what they do is they dress up, they're a group of biological males who dress up as nuns and they go out and they do drag shows and they work with the LGBTQ plus community. And um, they, for example, last Easter, they dressed up like Jesus and Mary and did some that the stations that they did the stations of the cross as a pub crawl mm. and have done several other things that raised the ire of a lot of Catholic groups that see, I think rightly see what they're doing as an attack on their faith and as um, borderline blasphemous about a lot of their faith. And so they pushed back on it. And because of that, the Dodgers initially announced that um, they didn't want the inclusion of the sisters to detract from the rest of what the night was supposed to accomplish and disinvited them. Then in response to that, 
a lot of the more prominent LGBTQ plus com- groups in LA said that they're not going to go to the Dodgers Pride Night if the sisters were not part of it as well. And so news broke recently that they have now been reinvited, and that's drawn the same ire from the Catholic side that had last week been praising the Dodgers for their decision. And it just kind of shows that it, if you get caught in the circle of trying to make people happy instead of trying to do the right thing, there really is no escape from that. And I think that's what the Dodgers are facing right now. So one of the criticisms um, as a part of this conversation has been like, well, these people can't take a joke as if Christians can't either. We can't take a joke or we don't understand satire. Um, You know, that satire is this uh, form of protected speech. Um, I I don't, at, at some point, I mean, it's not that I'm, offended for myself because I'm not, but it is so offensive in terms of um, who God is and the the purity to which he calls his people. And so do you see what I'm getting at? Like, am I, I is it wrong to, to feel, I mean, I know that I'm not supposed to take offense <laughs> these days. Like that's like, right. Part of my calling is to take no offense, but I am <laughs> offended. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine to be offended. I also think a key component of that is to understand that whether it was Marco Rubio or the Catholic League or the people that spoke out against it, were not they weren't saying that the sister didn't have a right to exist or didn't have a right to go and do drag shows even. They just said that they don't have to be honored for it. And mm. that, I think that's one of the main differences is just this idea that if you don't agree with everything they're doing, then you're being bigoted against them or that a disagreement with the way they go about doing things is tantamount to saying they don't deserve to exist. And while I think that latter question is a conversation worth having in a lot of ways, that's not been claimed. And I think that's been one of the main disconnects here is that those who oppose the sister's inclusion were saying that, I mean, the whole point of what the Dodgers said and what, Major League Baseball said is that they're trying to be as inclusive as possible, and they're doing so by honoring a group that appears to be anything but inclusive of the Roman Catholic Church and of Catholic Christians. Yeah, I think this is going to be um, increasingly a part of the conversation in the culture. Like, what is satire? Um, what is mockery? Um, when is it okay and when is it not okay to... I mean, really make fun of um, of a particular class or group of people, and in this case, Christians. Um, it seems yeah. as if in the culture today, you know, Christians are the only group. Jesus is the only um, religious um, leader uh, who it's okay to publicly make fun of and mock. And that's just an, an, an interesting and curious place to be in our cultural life. Um, it is. Ryan. Yeah. Talk about just for a moment what you guys are doing in Denison Ministries, because it's connected to this conversation about living as uh, followers of Christ in in this very post-Christian uh, context. Thanks. And it, it one of the things that we're most trying to do is help people see every aspect of their lives through the lens of biblical truth and understand that there's not any facet of kind of our day-to-day existence over which God should not be Lord. And um, encouraging people to do that in a way that 
brings glory to God, but also furthers the kingdom. And with regards to the story with the sisters, I think one of the most important pieces about it is just the reminder that our first inclination when we encounter something like this is often to get defensive. And how that's, and a lot of times, that's counterproductive to the larger mission of helping people to know Jesus and knowing where to draw that line between at what point should our indignation kind of lead us to speak out versus when should we just kind of keep our head down and moving forward for the kingdom is it's difficult. And I think it just reminds us that this is not something we can do without God. And that one of the main reasons that God needs to be Lord of every fast of our lives is that those lines are going to look different for different people in different situations. I don't think there is a one size fits all approach for this sort of thing where there's a clear line of delineation we can't cross in a given situation. And so letting the Holy Spirit be the one that kind of decides that is, I think, really important. But it's not something we can do unless we stay in constant connection to God, unless he has control, unless he is Lord over every part of our lives. And so that's really what we're trying to do at the Denison Forum is be able to, especially with regards to news, but also through our brands like First 15 for daily devotionals or Christian parenting for the parenting side of things, just help people see, help people get, let God be Lord of every facet of, of their existence. It's so good. It's so good. Ryan, thank you so much um, for joining us today and what you're doing each and every day in your own family um, and through the ministry of Denison Forum. That's Ryan Denison. You can find him at denisonforum.org, encouraging you to check out the book, A Path to Purpose. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. So the Sermon on the Mount, um, we we recognize its importance. Um, we acknowledge it as a major teaching block of the content of what Jesus taught his disciples and calls us as disciples to not only understand but live into. Again, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. This is one of the five really big teaching blocks um, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew gathers together a particular corpus of content and delivers it to us in five big movements in in the Gospel of Matthew. So there I'm talking about context, talking about context. And so when we think about um, the Sermon on the Mount, it is delivered by a person, Jesus, in a context first century Mediterranean world, um, largely Jewish audience, but definitely um, pagan overhearers delivered to his disciples. But um, the disciples are like a first audience. There are um, concentric circles beyond that, um, all the way to the crowds and the world. So there's um, there's the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is actually delivered in um, a, a larger portion of Scripture, which starts at Matthew 4.23 and ends at Matthew 9.38. And you're saying, well, what it, so what? Well, because context matters. Historical context matters. Literary context matters. And and so when you think about the context of the first hearers, can you hear the Sermon on the Mount as if you're hearing it for the first time? That's one of my questions today. Can you hear Jesus speak these words to you as if for the first time? Can you be as surprised and astonished 
at what Jesus said as the first people who heard it were astonished when he said it. Can you do that? Can you hear God speak today through what he has already spoken? And can you hear it delivered from the voice of Jesus, who we know as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but who in the context of the delivery of the Sermon on the Mount in its original to its original hearers would have been Jesus as a prophet. That's 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 who they would have seen and understood was standing before them delivering these words. In the spirit of the Old Testament prophets and the prophets of old, a person who was serving as a mouthpiece of God, delivering to them um, the words of God and the word of God. They didn't yet know he was the word of God himself in flesh. So can we hear it that way? And can we actually hear it? That's another question, I think, to pose to ourselves. Can we hear it? We live in such a visually rich, um, visually dominated culture. And this is spoken word. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 was meant to be heard and heard and heard and repeated and memorized, taken to heart. So how much of the Sermon on the Mount is written on your heart? Do you know the Beatitudes? I bet you know the Lord's Prayer. Feel confident you've memorized that portion of, um, of this passage of Scripture. Could you memorize the Beatitudes, um, the opening 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5? Could you, could you memorize maybe one of the parables that Jesus tells? Um, could you memorize what Jesus says maybe about worry? Maybe that's a portion of the Sermon on the Mount that really speaks to you. My guess is you already know that many enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it and small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. My guess is you know about wise and foolish builders and why we're called to build our house upon a rock. How much of the Sermon on the Mount do you literally know by heart? Maybe that's a good um, exercise for each of us and all of us today as we not only hear what Jesus says, but we become doers of it. There's another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.